Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, March 17th. Look, it's a stressful time for all of us, regardless of if you're a tennis fan or not. Your day-to-day life certainly impacted by the ongoing coronavirus. Schools have been canceled. Jobs have been displaced. All of these different things going on. So what we at Crack Rackets really want to do is give you some sort of channel to escape that. Maybe if it's only for 30 minutes on this mini-break podcast, just get your thoughts out of the day-to-day worries that come when a pandemic like this spreads. And so that's what we're going to be doing on today's mini break podcast. We are not going to be focusing on the coronavirus. If you want to hear more about that, go check out the conversations we've had with Ben Rothenberg of the New York Times, with Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio, and then most recently with John Wertheim of Sports Illustrated. But we want to continue the trend we started yesterday. We want to talk about the big picture things we have learned from the two months of tennis we got to see during this 2020 season. Joining me to do just that, as he did last night, you know him as a former Denison men's tennis superstar, one of the co-hosts of this mini-break podcast, and a man I affectionately refer to as James Foster McDonald. Jamie, how are you holding up? Another day, still no intro, including the high school coach. Wow. Oh. I, I can't believe it. Maybe next time. Swing and a miss, but maybe, but maybe next time. Hey, great shot to me. That's the obvious third. I cannot believe. You're going to have to send me the school because I don't remember what school or their mascot you're coaching, but I promise I will be doing better moving forward on that. Mm-hmm. That will be the third moving forward. Appreciate it. Noted. I- I'll draw it down right now for you. Oh, of course. And one of the people we appreciate, something we're going to be doing moving forward on these mini break podcasts is we want to give a shout out to our Patreon subscribers because in a moment like this, when we don't know when our next play-by-play gig is going to come, to have a group of supporters on Patreon who, you know, not only financially, but emotionally support us by contributing to our work, showing that they care, they appreciate what we are doing. We want to give back and give a big thank you to them. So our Patreon subscriber of the day today is mini break podcast brought to you by our friend Matt Williams. Now, for those of you who don't know about Matt, he is the current Georgia State Panthers assistant men's tennis coach. And I want to give a shout out to him because although the Panthers were 5-8 and eight at the end of this season, they have had a really good one. They knocked off number 66 Old Dominion 4-2. They played number 56 Wichita State dangerously close, losing that match 4-3. 4-1 loss to number 45 Georgia Tech. 4-3 loss to Clemson. But they were starting to turn their season around. They had won their past uh, three of their past four. and uh, no, Not three of their past four. Excuse me. Four of their past six with wins over Florida Atlantic, over Stetson, over Mercer, over Charlotte. So shout out to you, Matt Williams, uh, for your continued work. Anyone in the tennis realm, we are so appreciative of, but for your continued support, Matt, the least we could do is give you a shout out. Jamie, gut feeling, who wins, Georgia State or Denison? Oh, 
I mean, how how can I do my boys like that? You know what I mean? <laughs> Gotta go, Denison, right? Come on. That's I bleed fair. big red. <laughs> That's fair. Give me the D1 squad. I'll take Georgia State to give you boys the business. But seriously, Matt, thank you so much for your— uh, I mean, that's I'll just take... the right pick. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm going to ride with a Sunbelt team every time. <laughs> uh, but shout-out to you, Matt. Thank you for your continued support. And I also want to give a big shout-out to our friends at Diadem Sports, whose continued support of this podcast is appreciated more and more with every passing day. And if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times on this podcast. Diadem Sports, helping tennis players around the globe elevate their game by designing the most innovative performance tennis gear on the planet, their Nova 100, their elevator. 98 rackets crafted to various different styles of game as I mentioned yesterday you play big like my former doubles partner and partner in crime Max Rothman maybe the Nova 100 is for you because you're going to get the most power out of that if you're like Jamie who we affectionately refer to his game as crafty you're going to see a lot of bump lobs a lot of forehand slices the elevate 98 would be for you and Jamie I know you said this yesterday but I know you recently got yourself some diadem strings how are they working for you yeah the elite xt Got myself a reel of it, 17 gauge. Feels great. Uh, tons of spin coming off the racket. Uh, like I said yesterday, helps the kick serve a lot, especially over those uh, those high schoolers I still got to flex on. Uh, no, it's good. <laughs> Goes a long way in helping me do that. So would for sure recommend it. Who wins, the Denison team or your high school team? Okay, that's just disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw it out there. But for Diadem, look, it's not just their rackets and strings. They've got their premier tennis balls as well. They've got fantastic swag. They are offering sponsorship programs as well for juniors, coaches, colleges, and professional players. And I know if you go on their website right now, diademsports.com, plug in our promo code CR50, you'll get 50% off of your order. They've also got a really fun set of discounts right now. You get three sets of strings can of balls and a drawstring bag all for i believe it's the price of 20 dollars, maybe 50 bucks i feel like three reels of strings for 20 bucks that just can't be right and if it is credit to you diadem because that's a bargain and a half and as jamie mentioned those strings will do wonders for your game so please diadem sports continued support of us has been so important in this time the least we can do is ask you the fan to go check that out i also before we get into the podcast topic and i swear we are about to get rocking and rolling folks so don't hit that third 30-second skip button on your podcast app just yet. We had today rolling out our, our new video segment at Cracked Rackets. It's called Overserved. It focuses on the unintentional comedy, the best gifts, the funniest tenor tennis Twitter moments, and it's something we've been working on really hard at Cracked Rackets to develop and get out to you. And Jamie, I would argue if you need a, just a 10-minute escape from the stresses of daily life, it's the video for you, right? Definitely breaks up that uh, that sad rhythm of whatever you know Tuesday Wednesday that you're working with uh, for sure. It's a good it's a good relief, no doubt, and it's really enjoyable for us uh, to write and create those as well. So all around good stuff, listener and on our side. Did you nicer bicep myself or Jordan Thompson? Mm, yeah, tough one. I mean, only, <laughs> if only you had the tattoo. That's the only thing setting you apart, setting him well, apart. I will say this: if it's a competition, and you'll get this if you watch the video on who would be a better ankle model. I like my ankles a little bit better than Riley Opelka's. Mm, I don't know. Maybe. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't see it. I'd have to. I'd have to see a side by side. That's fair. And look, if you want to see a side by side again, go check out the video on our YouTube channel right now. But 
enough Michigas. Let's get into the tennis because we wanted to explore one of the other big narratives emerging from this 2020 season. And as you all know, when the season was cut off, we were about to start Indian Wells and Miami, the home stretch of the Sunshine Swing. But in that Sunshine Swing, beyond the hard courts, beyond the Acapulco 500 that you get to see as well, the Dubai 500 that Novak Djokovic brought home, uh, you also get to see our first stretch of clay court tennis at the ATP 250 level and above the ATP Tour going down to South America during that time to get to play a bunch of red court events, oh, red court clay, red red court, red clay, excuse me, events. And one of the biggest winners, uh, without doubt, of this early sunshine swing, a guy who, after this results and points have dropped off since then, they haven't quite frozen the rankings yet, uh, was Christian Guerin, uh, who worked his way up all the way to number 18 in the ATP rankings, a new career high over the course of the Sunshine stretch thus far. He won his first ATP 500 title this year in Rio. He also won in Cordoba the week, I think maybe two weeks before that. That was a 250 event in his final match. He also played in Santiago uh, to try and get another third event in. And while he won his first match in exciting fashion, 7-6 in the third over Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. He ended up losing a first set 7-6 and retiring to eventual title winner in Santiago, Tiago Sabathville. And just to point out, Christian Guerin is Chilean, so for him to play that event in Santiago, Chile, even though he withdrew, you can understand why he wanted to play because it was so important to him. And he's the guy we want to focus on today because, Jamie, you look at his statistics now over these past two years and what he's done on the dirt. He's won four ATP 250 or higher level titles. He also made a final in March of 2019 uh, at the Brazil Open. That was another 250 on the clay. This is a guy who I think moving forward, God willing, should we get to play the French Open? I think if he makes anything less than the second week, you know, if he loses before the second week, it would be a massive disappointment because he has proven he is at a minimum a top 20 player on the dirt. Yeah, I think so. I would fully expect that. That Really, the only scenario uh, that I don't see that happening is if, you know, a dangerous floater gets put in in somewhere in his draw. Um, Other than that, though, no, I fully expect it. Look, like you mentioned, he has completely risen up in the rankings in the top 20 now. And yeah, it's because of that strong foundation that he has on the clay. And um, I mean, look, from 2020, what we've seen, just like in 2019, this guy can win on the dirt. We know that. Um, and, and, you know, I know this is going to be a sort of the theme coursing through today's, but where do we see that go from here, right? Is he only going to stay on the clay at this level? Can he expand it and push upward? Um, I think the French Open this year is a really good test um, for that question itself. Yeah, and I think just to set the scene for those of you who aren't exactly familiar with Christian Guerin, the former 23-year-old was a junior French Open champion back in 2013. He beat Alex Zverev in that final 6-4, 6-1, and he's a guy who, it, his ascension up the rankings, maybe not quite as quick as a Tsitsipas, as a Zverev, as a Medvedev, but it's been slow and steady. He has won eight challenger tit- or eight futures title in his career, four challenger titles. He also now has the three 
three 250 titles as well as the one at the 500 level. But the biggest thing, as you point out, they've all come on clay. And last year during the South America stretch was really, as I mentioned, when he had his breakout moment. He made that final in Brazil. He got his first title at the U.S. Men's Clay Court Championships in April, knocking off Casper Ruud. But it wasn't just those results. He also had good results um, before that, coming all the way back, I believe, in Cordoba. Uh, Oh, this is 2020. Excuse me. I'm looking for 2019. But, you know, this is a guy who, again, it's the slow and steady. But the big thing was why we were so excited to see him play Indian Wells and Miami this year is he really didn't get to play that many Masters events during that 2019 season. Injuries plaguing him after he played a bunch on the dirt. In fact, he didn't play the main draws of Indian Wells, Miami, Monte Carlo, Madrid, or the Italian Open last year. That's five Masters opportunities that given that he was a top 20 player, even if he only got one win, there was a very likely scenario that we were going to see him, if not crack the top 10, certainly be hovering right around it. And that's why he's so fascinating. Now, to get to the big question, Jamie, and this is where we can start to break down his game. You look at his career statistics at the futures or higher level. He's 305 and 188 over his career, 8 and 5 on grass. Again, he's 23 years old. That's a small sample size, but that's fine. 45 and 46 on hard courts, 49 win percentage rate. Again, this was really going to be his first time seeded and playing higher level events on the hard courts. So that's one thing, but he's 252 and 137 on his career on clay. Let's start here. Over the next 10 years, do you expect Christian Guerin to be at a minimum one of the top 10 players on tour every time we get to the dirt portion of the season? Every time we get to the dirt, um, probably. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be one of those guys who's always going to be dangerous, you know, regardless of if he's seeded in a tournament or is just a floater, right? You know, his whole ranking, that's going to depend on a lot of other things, right? If his game ends up translating, where the performance goes. But in terms of on the clay, there's nothing we've seen so far that would make me doubt for the fact that for the next decade, he can show up and be a serious contender on the clay. Um, now, really, this gets to a weird thing with draws, right? Because if he's not getting good draws, if he's not seated, he really just exists as that dangerous floater in other parts. But when we come down to, I mean, these the South American swings, for example, I fully expect him to be there and be a force for a long time. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Yeah, and you look at his start to 2020, he got to play some of the hard court events in the ATP Cup. Three losses, but you look at the players, they were two. Gael Monfils, Kevin Anderson, Novak Djokovic. Yes, Anderson's coming back from injury, but you can sort of write those off a little bit. Now, in Adelaide, he lost a three-set battle to Lloyd Harris, who I believe made the final there. So again, concerning but not devastating at the Australian Open. He was a winner in his first round over Stefano Travagila, uh, the number 74 player in the world. He then lost in straight sets to Milos Raonic. 
But you talk about the things Christian Guerin does well. I think at a minimum, he's one of the next-gen guys who has one of the higher floors, Jamie, because he's just so solid off of both wings. On the dirt in particular, he moves very, very well. It's so easy to see how comfortable he is. But he's just a guy who never beats himself. He's, again, solid off of both wings. You look at his statistics thus far in his career. He's made 61% of his first serves, 70% of those first serve points he's winning. He's winning 50 percent of his second serve points and while I think he's fine as a server I'm curious what you think about him as a returner because I think that's his biggest strength I think his ability to take that ball early to get the point back to neutral at a minimum I mean he's won 50 percent of the second serve points he's played in his career you look at it over the last 52 weeks Christian Guerin according to the ATP stats the number 22 returner uh, by their returning ranking that sounds about right to me yeah, I mean, listen, all the things you just listed off are oftentimes what we see as the foundation of a really, really good clay quarter, right? Um, somebody who can be solid off both wings, especially when you get on the clay. Yeah, I mean, it suits itself to his sort of style, you know, particularly when it comes to the return, right? Not only does he have the opportunity to take ones early because the ball is not going to be coming through as hard, he can also drop back a little bit, give himself some time and take big cuts at it. And that's what we see him do, right? Sometimes we see him do um, that, particularly on the forehand side. I mean, this isn't on the clay, for example, but it comes to mind that, uh, what was it, that first round match in 2019 U.S. Open um, against Eubanks, the five-setter he ended up winning. I mean, he was showing phenomenal return skills in that one. And, you know, you're going up against a big server like Eubanks, you got to be able to do that right? Sometimes he was dropping back. He was taking him early. Um, he's just so solid. Um, and particularly on the clay, when it slows it down just a little bit, gives a great returner like Christian Guerin, even a little bit more time, it's just going to be amplified. Right. And so that's how he's able to stay in these matches and win them. Um, because yes, you know, we talk about the serve again, this is a key word for Christian Guerin at the moment, right? Just so solid. Um, and that's what we think of him on the serve. On the return, though, like you said, that's really where he has a distinct edge, I think. Um, and that's another reason why he's just so good on clay, because he has a little bit more time, has the opportunity to rip a big first ball, or at least get that point neutral. And, you know, once you're in a neutral point against Christian Guerin on clay, good luck. Yeah, I think for him, the most encouraging thing is in terms of his hard court results down the home stretch of last season when he was healthy. You know, round of 16 in Montreal, he beat Laszlo Jir. That's a good win on a hard court. He beat John Isner, also a good win, although mm-hmm. context Isner still coming back from injury at yeah. that time. But, you know, he lost to Medvedev. Still, round of 16, good result. You talk about uh, in Chengdu, the 250 level on the outdoor hard court. Good win over Kyle Edmund. Good win over Fernando Verdasco. Yes, he lost to Pablo. Pablo Carreno Busta, but again, it's getting better and better. In Shanghai, he beat Cuevas before losing to Berrettini, and then most encouraging at the Paris Masters, wins over Cuevas again, and we know how difficult it is to beat a player twice in the same month, especially with the margins being as thin as they are, but he also beats Isner again in two tiebreak sets. He beats Jeremy Chardy 8-6 in a third set buster before losing to Grigor in the quarterfinals. He also beat Jan Leonard Struff in Davis Cup 6-7-7-6-7-6, so I think in terms of his performances on a hard court, they're trending up, right? But that was the other thing is we were, I think, and I'm going to speak for you here, this was a guy when we text off off mic, we were really excited to see how he would fare not only on the hard courts but as a seed on the hard courts because that's a pressure he hasn't felt with. But his game, in theory, should translate across multiple surfaces. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Look, for me, I think the biggest one for him just confidence-wise is one more notch on the mm-hmm. clay, right? 
get one more higher. I mean, he has the 500 title, which is great. The three 250s is your solid. But, I mean, I think we need one more either big title or at least big title run with a big time name win in it for him uh, because I think that's really something he can use as a stepping stone that when he goes to the hard court you know a surface that he's not quite as good on not quite as strong on the game is there to me a lot of it is just the mental piece of it and understanding how he's going to get across the finish line you see it on the clay he's so comfortable and he's so confident and that's why he has so much success when you switch off that surface obviously it's not his favorite but once he get in, gets it in his mind that he can beat these people and he understands how to truly get through a match against them and win I think I think Christian Garrett's a whole new beast I agree and we've used the platitude he's really solid off both wings and what does that mean well what that means on a clay court and why it accentuates his game so well really good and we've joked around this before you're never going to find two serves that look more similar than Stan Wawrinka's and Christian Garen's, right? Just aesthetically, the feet come together, the load up on top of their shoulder. I'm doing it right now. You guys can't see it, obviously, because this is a podcast. But aesthetically, right, they look pretty similar. And I think why why I bring that up is he's really good at opening up space for himself. He's really good with the slice out wide on the do side, which is one of the tougher serves for a righty. He can kick the serve out wide on the ad, but he can also use that slice to go down the tee. And on clay in particular, when you can get that slice out wide on the deuce, you just have so much space for yourself that the returner's thinking, oh, do I have to you know sprint across the court to go cover this down the line ball? Or you know, for Garen, it's like, nope, I'm actually sneaking the ball behind you he has all of those skills now the counter to that is if I if I were to say Jamie what's his biggest weapon I don't we, we probably don't have an answer to that right I, I, he does a lot of things well but I don't know if he does anything great at this point that would be my biggest concern what do you think yeah I mean it's tough to pinpoint but I mean man his forehand sure looks like a weapon when he steps in and rips it. And, you know, something, look, we've, we've choked about Christian Guerin just looking like a fullback out there because, I mean, <laughs> this guy is just jacked. Um, but something that's so impressive, I mean, you can just tell how strong this guy is, particularly, I mean, on a dead sprint, the amount of passes I've seen him hit um, when he's really not set. And, and that's something that's absolutely going to serve him well. His on-the-run ball striking is phenomenal. Um, so I don't know if that in and of itself is a weapon. Um, it definitely gets him points, and it gets him out. Out of trouble, no doubt about it. I mean, I think you you got to go with the rock solid stepping into the forehand um, when when he cuts the ball off and takes away time from his opponent, steps in and rips that thing, particularly cross court. Um, you know, sometimes they look a little Edmund esque, right? He he has that ability and that power behind it. Um, but yeah, you, you know, you talk about it. There's so many things with a solid game like his. Sometimes it is difficult to really just nail down one aspect that you say, hey, this is his go to. This is how he's going to win points each and every time. It's interesting that you say Edmund-esque because aesthetically, and I'm not saying this is what you're the point you're trying to make, but I'm just saying aesthetically they're nothing alike. No, right? they're not Edmund, similar. No, yeah, and, no technically and they're not the same stroke. Edmonds looks way more mechanical, and that being said, when he pops the forehand, you can just see, oh, okay, this guy hits it different than everyone else, even in that top 100 level. He's just got that sort of pop. But you're right. It it doesn't strike you as overwhelming, but it gets on you really, really quickly. That ball yeah. spikes off of his racket. I certainly agree. And look, this is a, a stat that I— put some grain of salt in it but there's the under pressure leaders which uh is percent it's a combination your under pressure rating is a combination of percentage of break points converted percentage of break points saved tie breaks one and percentage of deciding sets one over the past 52 weeks jamie where do you think christian garen stands on this leaderboard 
52 weeks. Um, so let's see. He's calling 18. Let's call him. Uh, let's call him 13. Okay. First of all, great shot by you. He's number seven right now. And I'm wow. reading this list, and I'm not going to lie. The more I see it, the more I actually think it's accurate. Because number one, Rafa. Number two, Djokovic. Number yeah. three, Federer. That's obvious, right? Fair. Number four, Dominic Team, who over the past 52 weeks, he's made an Australian Open final. He won his first Indian Wells. He made a French Open final. That feels right. Um, next guy's in front of him, Felix Ogier al who has made so many finals and just hasn't gotten the job done in a, you know, in the fifth set, uh, or in the third set, whatever, at the slams, that feels about right. Guys like Kyrgios is six, Rublev is eight, Berrettini nine, Nishioka 10, Monfils 11. Those have been the guys winning events or making deep runs over the past 52 weeks. So that Christian Guerin's in this position, I don't think that's weird at all. And in fact, you look at the percentage of deciding sets one. Jamie, in terms of fifth sets or third sets, he has won 73.7% of them over the past five weeks or over the past 52 weeks. That's fifth on tour. He is getting the job done in the clutch. And that points to the fact that when you have few weaknesses, when you have no glaring thing for your opponent to attack, that's just going to get the job done on a week-by-week basis on tour. That's how you're going to get to the round of 16s, to the quarterfinals, semifinals of 250 and 500 matches. And I guess the biggest question we're asking going into this moving forward is, what's his ceiling? Right, we've talked about his ceiling on clay. Certainly, given how comfortable he is as a mover, uh, the various ways he can hurt you on the surface, uh, he's a guy who is going to be proficient, making finals and winning titles at the two fifty five hundred level, even the Masters uh, level. Once he gets more opportunities, but the question is. Is he a guy who has the game to be a top 10 player in a world where you have guys who just hit the cover off of the ball, like the Tsitsipas's, like I will say the Alex Virez from the baseline, or a Berrettini who serve in plus one forehand, you're just like, yep, I can't do anything about that, or a Dominic Team, or an Andre Rublev, or an FAA, or a Shapovalov. Do you think his ceiling is as high as the rest of those guys? That's some pretty tough company to put it's him a, in. Yeah, um, it's a, it, but it, that's his cohorts age group-wise and ranking-wise right now. He has earned the, the distinction of being amongst that group, at least I think. I, I don't know. See, the, the difference between those, there's, there's a separation, not only because they've proven it on all sorts of surfaces, but on the biggest stages, right? I mean, some of those guys you listed off, what? Look at the top 10, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, Veratini. I mean, those guys, particularly Medvedev, Tsitsipas, and Zverev, I mean— They've been either at the top of the game or showing their worth or making really deep runs and big time, you know, slams, right? It's just different. Um, now, Christian Guerin, phenomenal player. And I do expect, I would say in the, within the next three to five years, I'd be surprised if he's not, you know, making deeper runs in the French. You know, we'll give that one for a major. The other surfaces, I just don't know. And without those other surfaces, I, I just don't feel comfortable putting him in that same category with those other guys who have had such phenomenal results. How about this? Over the next 10 years, we'll say, maybe 10 is a little bit longer, uh, too long, but they're both 23 years old. So yeah, you know what? The way game's going, I'm going to say 10 years. Hopefully we get tennis in the next 10 years. Who knows at the rate we're going. Um, but because their, their game styles are very different, who spends more time in the top 20 as well as the top 10? Karen Hatchinov, or Kachinov, as we like to say, who's won a Paris Masters title, but you know his level fluctuates up and down. Or a guy like Christian Guerin, where I, if healthy, I think we can confidently say you know what you're going to see from him. 
it's tough. I mean, Christian Guerin has such a rock solid foundation and can go play a ton of clay court tournaments and get a bunch of points, right? Mm-hmm. Hatchinov though has, I feel like he's just shown that he's a bit higher, um, particularly on those other surfaces, right? We're seeing him more around the calendar year um, than we have Christian Guerin, and that's not to say that that trend will hold true. But right now, based off of what we've seen, I would feel wrong in not picking Hatchinov for this one. That's fair, but I'll say this: in terms of who's more likely to win a Grand Slam. I would go Christian Guerin because there's a, you know, Perhaps, yeah. so, someday Rafa Nadal is going to retire. And I think we all agree that Dominic Team's the heir apparent at Roland Garros. Mm-hmm. But five, six, seven years from now, when Christian Guerin's 28, 29, 30, there's yeah. a world where he just gets hot on the surface for two weeks, right? And that's why he's such a fascinating player because. In the era of the big three, you don't have specialists winning slams on their best surfaces. You know, Kevin Anderson mm-hmm. uh, with his big serving came close at Wimbledon. And uh, y- you think of the exceptions, you know, Stan's Stan not an exception because when he plays well, it doesn't matter what the surface is as long as it's not grass. Um, but Christian Guerin, had, just by sample size, he's that good on the clay. You don't have this level of success for this long unless it's real, right? And so that's why, to me, he's such a fascinating surface. And I think it was Kyrgios who was taking digs, usually at Kasparud, uh, saying, oh, all these dirt specialists. Why do we have clay courts throughout the year? Well, guess what? We do have clay court tournaments throughout the year. And you saw it at the end of last season at the after the U.S. Open. Christian Guerin went down and played, I believe, a clay court event after. At the, towards the end of the season. I don't remember quite where it was. I'll look that up as we're talking. Um, but he's going to have those sorts of opportunities where you're right. If his confidence dips a little, he loses a couple of first-round matches in a row, you're going to find about a clay tournament a month, you know, give or take. And so mm-hmm. that's why, to me, I don't know, man. Like, I could see a world where Christian Guerin spends more time in the top 20 just because of there's always going to be three months of the year, at least if the trends hold up, that he's going to just rack up points. Yeah, no, it's absolutely possible. And if he plays the game that way, right, um, that that's the difference, right? If he just only wants to stay in his clay comfort zone, um, then yeah, that's definitely true. You know, he can spend a ton of the year just racking up points in clay court tournaments and, and doing that. Um, I don't think that that's what will happen because, you know, he's going to want this to translate outside of that. I think instead he's going to use that clay court swing as the base of his year each and every time because look i mean i don't think we're ever going to get to a scenario where this isn't his best surface and this isn't where he's most comfortable uh because he's looked so good on it and he knows how to play on it right this is the foundation of his game it's it's really translating those skills over to the other surfaces and expanding on those as opposed to just you know playing the other ones because you have to and you have the ranking for it and then going back to the clay as soon as you can right i know that's the comfortable thing to do but i don't think it's the best or or what he will actually end up doing yeah, and it's funny, as I see now, he played the 250 in Bastad after Wimbledon. He lost first round to Jeremy Chardy. He played the ATP 500 in Hamburg. He lost first round to Andre Rublev. But, yes, it didn't go well for him last year. Uh, but, it's you know, the clay court opportunities exist even into July, and that's really the point I'm trying to make. And, yeah, if we haven't emphasized it enough, Christian Guerin's just— He's really rock solid. Now, last question for you in terms of our discussion on him. If you were to say there's one weakness, and even beyond the uncertainty, but just game-specific, if you were to say, hey, this is the thing I think he needs to improve most, and this is the thing if he does improve, he could get to a top-10 level consistently, what would you say that is? 
It's I mean, tough, right? In it, fact, it I'll go always... first. That that was a brutal question. I just set you up for failure there. Uh, I, if you don't, if you want, I can take that one first. I mean, I don't care. I can speak to it. It's whatever you want. No, go for it then. I mean, I think for me, this is it. Always, I give the deep sigh because we just spent thirty minutes talking about how solid he is, right? <laughs> um, so then to pick a weakness is like, wait a second. Um, but no, I mean, I think it's a fair question. A lot of it for me lies in getting free points off the serve. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to be a huge one, and, and particularly, you know, we talk about the forehand being a weapon. Um, I think he's got to be really comfortable. Look, he can grind out points and win them on the run. You know, I talked about that, and we've seen that so many times. But, you know, for him to really employ the correct aggression and getting through service games easily, he's got to make the serve more just effective on the other surfaces. That's the first one. And he's also got to be smart with his service games and really develop some plus one plays Um, because he has the ability to take the ball early and do it. Um, I think he just needs to trust in that sort of first strike aggression right off the bat. Um, I know he's comfortable going back and grinding out a 30 point rally or 30 ball rally, right? Like, that's his foundation, and I get that. But for him to truly develop, I think the thing he needs to add is that another layer, another element, uh, and another, I guess, weapon, if you will. Um, and I think that's the aggression, particularly, and it starts off the serve. That's where it needs to start. No, I, I think I could not agree with you more. You beat me to it. You talk about him in terms of, and again, the margins are really thin between these players, and we've talked, is first serve percentage the end-all, be-all? Absolutely not, but your effectiveness on serve, it does matter. And for him, 45th in terms of first serve percentage on the ATP Tour over the past 52 weeks, 48th in both first serve and second serve uh, percentage of points on those two serves, respectively, one. Um, it Again, this gets back to what I mentioned earlier. I don't see a definitive plus one weapon. Life is go it's never going to be smooth sailing for him. It's never gonna be oh and oh I blasted you off the court. He's gonna to have to work his way physically into every match he plays. And given the nature of the increasing physicality of the ATP tour, uh, that's how injuries come about. And I'm not saying he's gonna be injury plagued, but it's a tough ask. It, we they don't put you know, they don't create Djokovic's and Nadal's on factories. Those guys are exceptions, not the rules. But that's the sort of physicality you will need to see from Christian Guerin if we want if he wants to be in the top 10 in the top five competing for slams and that's just a tough ask to ask of anyone um so I agree with you that development of just an easy weapon the forehand on clay he's really good at changing directions going down the line going short angle getting good depth good pace good elevation over the net changing speeds and spins i also think we, we've talked a lot about his forehand he's really solid off of the backhand wing two hands oh, off that side um but but again it's finding that definitive play that definitive weapon and look when it when it's as artificial of an improvement as that that shows that you're in a really good place as a young tennis players and I think we both have made that clear but it's why he's a fascinating case study because you do wonder what's his upside is he a guy who's going to constantly be in that 10 to 30 range or does he have it in him to get inside of the top 10 to be a sustained present that's uh, presence there and you know that's one of the biggest shames is that we're not going to get to see him over this hardcore sunshine swing stretch we're not going to get to see him play his first set really of masters events on the red dirt because points wise positioning wise he was really well set up to make a jump into the top 10 at this part of the year but any final thoughts jamie on his game before we wrap this up no no i think if anything that'll just uh make him eager for 2021 swing of those right 
Yeah, well, it's a lot of points to defend. I mean, he again, he's done it two South American clay stretches in a row where he has brought his A game. Yeah. And that's why, you know, you do it once, cool. Let's see you do it again. Well, he did it again. And so it's a really impressive stretch from Christian Guerin. It's why he's going to be a guy we will be watching really closely when the tour resumes, whenever it may be. And, you know, it's obvious, again, the reason why we are at this sort of gap, we all are well aware the coronavirus continues to impact all of our daily lives. If you want to hear more about how it's impacting the tennis world specifically, go check out the conversations I had earlier in the week with Ben Rothenberg, with Matt Jones uh, of Kentucky Sports Radio, and with John Wertheim of Sports Illustrated just this past weekend. If you need a break from all of the coronavirus, you're overwhelmed by it. You're like, please, I all of my podcasts, all of these things are just so focused on that. Go check out Overserved on YouTube, our new segment. I promise you will get at least three laughs out of it or your money back guaranteed. Another shout out to our Patreon subscriber of the day, Matt Williams, and uh, you know for his continued support. We're so appreciative. And look, we're ready to do more Georgia State content. Uh, I even looked up I, to talk about Pounce. The Georgia State mascot. Pounce is a great name, Jamie. That's good branding. Absolutely. Couldn't ask for better branding. <laughs> and I know you're the expert on all things branding. So, again, shout out to Matt. Shout out to our friends at Diadem Sports. Go to their website, diademsports.com. The promo code is CR50 for 50% off your order. Uh, shout out to our friends at Aerobar as well. Use that promo code CRACKED30. I'm telling you right now, with all the uncertainty, you're, you just want to have a lot of food in your house. That seems to be the theme. Uh, there's also a theme of toilet paper on a run. And, you know, I don't even want to get into that. But feels like a little absurd that like what do you expect to happen people like i know better safe than sorry but how much toilet paper is enough toilet paper i suppose today's mini break is brought to you by Charmin ultra (laughs) (laughs) less is more my friends there's a reason they say it um no but yeah it's just uh you know again shout out to our friends at aerobar to go full circle shout out to them you're not going to be needing uh i'm not even going to go there but thank you aerobar the promo code crack 30 there 30 percent off of your orders shout out as always to these super producers max flinger and daniel for the of an editing job they have to do day in day out and again the biggest favor you could give super producer daniel westoff go subscribe to our youtube channel see all the fun stuff he's up to on there for us please like rate subscribe review this podcast the great shot podcast the cracked interviews podcast you know leave a little review on there saying hey i want more corona content or thank you for the lack of corona content or hey i needed all of that toilet paper and here's why that's the sort of gruesome story i love to hear toilet paper themed here down the home stretch that's how you know we need to wipe this podcast away for my wonderful co-host james foster mcdonald our super producers max fligner and daniel westoff our friends at aerobar and diadem sports and all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin jamie what do we tell the people that's a break and we will see you all tomorrow thanks everyone